A long-running program at the State Department is designed to bring in people from high-paying jobs in the private sector. One way to convince them to join public service, higher than usual starting salaries. But according to my next guest, that has the potential to widen what she believes is already a pay gap between men and women. Jana Ben-Yehuda is a former State Department employee and founder of the Women's Foreign Policy Network, and she joins me now in studio. Ms. Ben-Yehuda, good to have you in. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Tom. So let's start with the issue of the pay gap. Do you believe that it exists at State Department, and, and how extensive do you think it might be? Absolutely, Tom. Well, GAO did a report uh, about 2009, and it's been requested again from legislators for review again this year. Uh, at the time, we were looking at 4 to 9 percent, and State Department acknowledges that they were experiencing similar levels. And how does this program of bringing people in from the outside make it worse? Sure. Potentially. Right. So the idea is that there should be incentives for joining the federal government, and then you want to bring in those high-wage earners who would otherwise be taking a substantial pay cut potentially to come into government. What happens, though, is that those folks tend to be disproportionately male, and women who are coming from backgrounds where there might be lower pay, it continues that pattern of employment because your compensation at the State Department, as is true in much of the rest of the federal government, is really pegged at your entry. So if you're coming in as a real estate developer or a corporate attorney where you've been partner and you're deciding to make a career shift, that's really going to start that level when you first come in. If you're coming in from education or other areas, nonprofit sector, which are disproportionately female, you're coming in at a lower wage. And that sustains and follows you and experiences your step increases and subsequent pay increases. So over a lifetime, 30 years in federal service, it adds up to real money. So it may not be a deliberate policy of the State Department to pay men more than women, but if you bring in more men at higher levels, then that will simply happen as a matter of almost arithmetic. Sure. I I don't think it's a deliberate policy, but the effect is the same. And so what we want to keep in mind is what is that impact and what does it look like for women over the course of their careers? And is there a remedy for that if, if this is what's happening? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's been interesting work on this topic. One way to look at this is should that initial signing bonus, if you will, follow somebody throughout the course of their career? I don't think people join federal service to make big money. And, you know, should we really be compensating people at those levels? Are there other things for which we should be compensating people at higher levels? For example, hard to fill languages. Could we not match those skills and abilities at levels similar to private sector salaries? Uh, You know, likewise, is there a way to factor in additional experience that might not fall into the rubric of pay? You know, 13 states have now outlawed asking for prior salary as a basis for compensation. And I think there's even a move to have that happen in the federal government. Absolutely. Uh, Well, we see that this is really haunting women throughout their whole careers. And what is a little less talked about is how women likewise, because as we all know that sick leave is factored into annuity for federal employees, Women are the disproportionate users of sick leave because there's no paid parental leave policy. So women are really getting it on both ends. When they first start, there is a disproportionate advantage to their male counterparts. And then when they leave, because they are the ones who are healing from childbirth and and taking leave. Men are often retiring with thousands of hours of sick leave. And that adds up to real money and a real disparity as women are disproportionately also responsible for care. And if you look at just the career workforce, men versus women, is that gap there? And how does that originate? 
given the pay scales that are gender neutral in the federal government. Right. The federal government actually does a little bit better than national averages in terms of pay disparity. And I think that what's important to remember here is that this is really an opportunity for the federal government to lead on this issue. And when State Department treats its own employees with equity, that is a message that it also takes to the rest of the world. And state can be a standard bearer in that area. It can't be yet in, fe- in terms of par- paid parental leave. The, you know, the United States really lags behind. No, there's a new bill on that front right now, but well, that's been tried before. It has been tried before, and I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, it will have renewed energy and vigor in this environment. We're speaking with Jenna Ben-Yehuda. She's a former State Department employee and founder of the Women's Foreign Policy Network. And I wanted to ask you about that network. Interesting, because we've had several female secretaries of state in the past couple of decades, some prominent ones, you might mm-hmm. say. And and so what does the F- Women's Foreign Policy Network do and how does it support women in the State Department? Well, the network is a, is really a true network of 3,500 women in 100 country. Countries and we seek to advance the inclusion of women in foreign affairs globally. You're right. We've been fortunate to have tremendous female leadership at the Department of State with Secretaries Albright and Rice uh, and then Clinton, of course. Uh, but what we still see is that only 30 percent of women make up senior leadership. So while we've gotten it right at the top, there's still a big gap. You've got, for example, 50 percent of women, 50 percent of men coming into those foreign service classes, but still 30 percent of women in senior leadership positions. What happens to those 20 percent? of women. They're not becoming less competent over time. And so the network is dedicated to closing that gap, that leaky pipeline, and helping women advance and really to change the structures that uh, that underpin what is effectively discrimination. And I wanted to get back to that issue of bringing people in from the outside and state, like many agencies, feel that they have to compensate them at a certain level. But I think for State Department and maybe a few other departments, there's really a call by the mission that would seem to mitigate in favor of saying, yeah, we'd love to have you in, maybe not take a pay cut, but at least come in at that level because of the public service mission involved. I think you'll find when you talk to folks at the Department of State that they really feel that, like so many other agencies, that their commitment to public service is really a calling. It is a lifestyle. It is a sacrifice. And it is a privilege to take your family and loved ones and uproot them every two to three years and make your place in another country. Um, It's a a trying experience, but one that people are attracted to because, as you know, that love of the mission. What we're saying is we want to get everybody on fair footing to in order to serve. And when Rex Tillerson came in as the first and short-lived Secretary of State under the Trump administration, one of the things he did was launch a very extensive survey and got quite a bit of response. I haven't heard a word about that survey since, since Mike Pompeo came in and not sure what Tillerson had hoped to do with it. Do you hear anything about it? And does your network tell you that anything that it might have suggested is ever being thought of or implemented? Yeah, unfortunately, um, the survey was problematic. Um, There was some value to it, but I think it was uh, issued in a fairly low trust environment amidst uh, persistent uh, hiring freezes. Even the ability to do a lateral transfer uh, was ended. Uh, And so I'm not sure how credible the methodology and responses of that survey were. It was not a fully anonymous survey. But I think the important thing to remember here is that if you go back to the QDDR, the Quadrennial Diplomacy and Development Review uh, that was conducted during the administrations of Secretary Clinton and Secretary Kerry, and then you also compare that against the findings of the survey and the redesigned effort under Tillerson, you will see some overlap. And therein lies the truth. There are 
important systemic challenges that the department needs to address. Look for that overlap because these problems are not going away and they need to be dealt with urgently. And also at that time, the Me Too movement came kind of onto the scene and there was the launch of a Me Too movement in national security and diplomacy What's your sense of the status of all of that now? Yeah. So I was very fortunate to co-author the Me Too NATSEC letter with Ambassador and a good friend of mine, Nina Hashigian. Uh, and together we were able to collect these 220-plus signatures from senior women around the community. And what we found was that uh, you know women are really disproportionately affected by this workplace violence. In the year plus uh, in which that letter has been published, we've been very heartened by responses on the Hill. Uh, There is legislation under development currently to look at oversight for such measures at the Department of State. We are supportive of that effort. Um, Other entities are really digging into this problem. There is an inspector general investigation underway at State Department for the first time ever to review those practices. Um, The Women's Foreign Policy Network's position has always been to serve as partners together with the Department of State. We share in wanting to provide a safe workplace for all employees. Folks just want to get back to work, and uh, and there needs to be accountability and transparency so that those issues don't happen. And people that do foreign policy work are often dispatched to countries where the disparity of treatment and social status and everything else between men and women is much worse than that of the United States. So it would seem that the United States ought to be the shining example when it sends women abroad. Yes, we would certainly hope so. What we really see with all of this is that sexual assault and harassment is a reflection of a a disparity in power. Uh, It's all about the power. And so when you are in a remote situation, when you're in Kabul, when you're the only woman, all of the men there are senior to you. Um, It's a power dynamic. And so that is also an argument for having, uh, you know, more balanced power of men and women in senior positions. Jenna Ben-Yehuda is a former State Department employee and founder of the Women's Foreign Policy Network. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. We'll post more information and a link to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive for on-demand listening on your device by subscribing at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month. Dive into Live One's massive library of songs, listen to curated playlists, or create your own. Check out exclusive artist-hosted stations and do it all for the best price in streaming. Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just $3.99 per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 